exciting episode of First Strike. Before we start the show, our plug our sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. This week's weekly deals 10% off all promos, whether they're foil or not foil. So go to FaceToFaceGames.com to take advantage of that deal. And as always, follow their Facebook page because that's where you can join a free giveaway. We're giving away $50 store credit every week to just someone who randomly leaves a comment. And uh, there's been multiple repeat winners, so definitely get your name in the comment section. We got the full house tonight. We got this week. We got the first Mythic Championship in Cleveland. We got one of our very own heading there, heading, getting, getting prepped up, and uh, seems to be following the same path as uh, one of my best friends in Magic, Alex Hayne, who uh, was number one for a while, was a proponent for Mono Blue, even helped. Uh, one of my friends, uh, someone that was, I didn't know he played Magic at the time, HH uh, uh, is what I call him. He was my university colleague. Uh, we even had a, a group project together, but he managed to qualify for London this past weekend with Mono Blue. But, but to continue, Alex was number one, it fell to number two, went back to number one, kept regaining number one. But today, just no luck with the deck, kept switching and... Uh, Kept losing. I had a losing record with every deck he tried. Ended up falling on, on Gruel, from, from what I heard. And uh, let's go straight to you, Elliot. Uh, I guess similar experience with Mono Blue. Yeah, I played Mono Blue in the RPTQ. I, kinda, I think I hyped it up last week as well. And I ended up going 4-2 and two for 11th place. It was just like a clean cut to top 8, so no like bad beats. Uh, and I was really confident with the deck. I was like 4 wedding consistently every single le- league I played. Um, and then, you know, I was talking to some of the people I was preparing with. They were pretty hyped for Mono Blue. They were having similar good results. And then all of a sudden, I got home from work today. I started joining Moto Qs and I went one and nine. And then, you know, I, I hopped in Discord with my friends and Kale, I'm like complaining to them nonstop about how all of a sudden I have no idea what to do. And Kale's like, I don't think you should play Mono Blue. I think that's garbage. So now here I am. My flight leaves in the morning. I have close to no idea what i'm going to play for the pro tour i'm currently in a league with saltai and that's sort of my front runner right now but um basically my analysis is that mono blue sort of just well obviously mono blue is the level zero deck it's known quantity it won the scg two weeks ago it's you know been doing well after that and it's sort of gotten to the point where people have put something like you know five six plus sideboard cards in their in their decks just to beat mono blue. You know, you have people with like four crawl harpooners plus more in their sideboard. Um, people are playing like Atsakan Archer, uh, just like everything, Sagittarius's Volley, all these like un- relatively unplayable cards that are just like poo-poo on mono blue. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a very powerful deck, but I don't think it can overcome just the sheer amount of hate that's being pointed towards it. Um, and that's not to say I'm like 0% to play it because I do have a lot of reps with the deck. I have a list that I was like, you know, very comfortable with up until 24 hours ago. Uh, so basically my position is play everything but mono blue in, until I'm comfortable. And, and if I can't, then, you know, I'm, I'm playing Terra Manners and Siren Storm Tamers. Uh, are you actually feeling that in the games themselves that you're playing that post you're, you're doing okay main deck, but you're getting completely slaughtered post board? Um, 
a little bit. Like I did play against a couple decks that were playing main deck crawler pooner, so you know the the hate sort of bleeding over to the main deck. A lot more people playing decks with things like Carnival Carnage, which is effective as well. Um, but the big thing about the mono blue deck that I found when I was playing it, even you know before now, was that you'd sometimes win by like assembling the combo of unblockable creature slash flying creature plus obsession. Um, but you know, you didn't have like a very streamlined deck in game one outside of doing your aggressive plan and, 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 uh, countering everything. So, you know, if you were on the draw and your opponent had a particularly aggressive draw or a particularly removal heavy draw that lined up well against yours, you would lose a lot of the game ones. You know, I don't, I don't want to know, I don't want to say like a percentage and look like an idiot, but you know, some of the times Terramander costs six mana to activate and uh, all your creatures have been killed. And then uh, the big thing about Mono Blue is that you had like a sideboard of really refined counter spells. You had things like Entrancing Melodies that were really powerful in some matchups. And I found that I had a, like a really high percentage in sideboard games. And, you know, even when people were playing a couple copies of Crawl Harpooner, a couple copies of uh, Crushing Canopy, those kind of cards. And it's just now that they've reached the critical mass, instead of winning a lot of my sideboard games, I'm, you know, maybe like losing uh, a little bit more than half of my main deck games, which is not too far off from what I was before. But now rather than winning most of my cyborg games, I'm losing. Uh, so I had like a lot of 2-1 victories before and now a lot of, you know, 0-2 and 1-2 losses now. Um, so I think it's... And, and, and the really sad part is I don't think there's like any way for the, the mono blue deck to really innovate. It, like, like I've looked at... I've looked on Scryfall and filtered for blue cards a billion times with varying varying filters, uh, looking for you know things that are hopefully better than Surge Mare for decks you need to block against and stuff like that. But I just don't know if it's there. Um, you know, I had I had someone play like two Lightning Mares against me in a single game that kicked my teeth in. So yeah, not excited for Mono Blue. <laughs> Okay, so so let's talk to your your good buddy Andy here, who's uh, what's your uh, advice to your poor poor helpless friend? Well, uh, I play I play a lot of standard. I play actually just a, a ridiculous amount of standard, just trying to figure out what the best deck is, not just for Elliot, but just kind of I like to explore new standards. So I've been playing a lot, and what I what kept like a thing that kept going through my mind is like I want a deck that like can beat aggro decks. And post board can just have the one or two counter spells you need to beat, like the control decks and the wilderness reclamation decks. And I tried to like think of all different kind of combinations. I thought Krasis is the best card in the format, so I was like, I want to play that. And it all just came back around to just Saltai being the best deck because it can always do that. So it gets to play Wild Growth Walker, which is the best it's probably ever been right now, like at this exact moment. Mono Blue can't race Wild Growth Walker. Mono blue or like mono white can get brick walled by it very fast, even if you don't evolve it. And uh, like mono red, which kind of preys on the other two aggro decks a little bit. I'm not even sure how favored it is, but it is known to prey on those decks is also a little soft to wild growth walker. I think the only deck it's bad against is like Esper control, which is a matchup. I think you're kind of okay. giving up a lot of pre-board equity to be very good against it post-board. So I decided that I think Saltai is the best deck for, for this tournament because I think Wild Growth Walker is one of the best cards 
Crisis is one of the best cards. And now that everyone knows that Mono Blue is so good, everyone's deck is built a little different. Like week one Mono Blue or week two Mono Blue when it started picking up traction, there was Saltai lists with just two main deck, two mana removals. Now it plays like three to four. And it plays uh, a couple of, um, what's it called? The, the, the Pirate Steel guy, Hostage Shaker, which is so good against Mono Blue because getting to even just play a flyer after is just devastating. And uh, Krace is very good. Even Vivian Reed can help with some cleanup. So I think Saltai is the best deck. And what I noticed with when, I was, when I was playing Mono Blue is that even when I had my Nutras, sometimes I would just get outraced and I would die. <laughs> like my clock was still not that good when I was going off. It was still very short. It's just that I had a lot of extra cards. But if my cards were like spell pierces and uh, uh, spell pierces and dive downs, and then my opponent's just playing a bunch of creatures, I'm gonna I'm gonna die. And so that's kind of how I felt about uh, mono blue. And like now that people are getting even more hateful in the main deck and super hateful in the sideboard, it's just do I want to be this very linear deck with a huge target on its head that like you can see the easy avenues to target it. And that's what mono blue sort of is. It's targetable when like there's some decks that are hard to target mono blue, very easy to target. And I think uh, that's not what I would want to play this weekend, despite thinking that it was the best deck maybe a full week ago. Any pushback from you, Elliot? Like, is there a reason why you wouldn't play Saltai? Uh, well, as I said, I'm, I'm currently in a league with it. So and and even you know going back to last week when I was having a lot of success with Mono Blue, Saltai was my backup, and I like I have it I have it and Mono Blue sleeved up in paper in my suitcase right now. Um, so I'm like I'm definitely agreeing with a lot of things that Andy was saying, uh, and you know, it's going to be a bit of a challenge to tune like a mid range deck in you know the couple hours I have before I have to fall go to sleep and then the five or six hours I'll have to test in Cleveland. Um, but, you know, I think, I think a list that Andy and I had been working on even last week is, is looking pretty good right now. Uh, you know, I tossed in a couple more crawl harpooners for the mono blue matchup because, you know, even though I don't think that deck is where I want to be, I think that a lot of people are going to be playing it. Uh, so it's, it's definitely something that I'll have to keep in mind at the pro tour or at the mythic championship. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I think Andy hit the nail on the head where, you know, you can build this Saltai deck to just be so good against the aggressive decks. And because of the format is is relatively wide open, but uh, sort of funneled towards the aggressive and mid-range and even like sort of in between those two archetypes, um, just such a small percentage of the meta is going to be, you know, decks that cast down doesn't do anything against. Um, and you know, in the Saltai colors, you know, you're going to be losing a lot of the games against the decks that cast down does zero against. Uh, but I'm going to I'm going to bring, bring in a pile of duresses and a pile of negates. And even even against a control deck, how bad can you be when you have Hydroid Crests in your deck? Because this, the Esper deck has no way to win the game except for Teferi Emblem game one. So a lot of the games, even where they're, you know, have a crushing advantage if they can't find a Teferi or can't protect it for long, you're going to have time to draw out of it and play a large hydroid crisis. So uh, I think the Saltai deck is, is definitely what I'm looking to play. Definitely um, probably my top choice at this point. And again, where if it's, I can't get it to a point where I'm happy, I'm, I'm probably going to default to mono and cross <laughs> my fingers. 
Um, before we we'll get to our resident underground underground dojo expert, uh, any thoughts on, on Model White, Elliot? Uh, so Model White, I, I mentioned Kale told me that Model Blue is unplayable uh, right at the perfect time, right 24 hours before the deadline. So thanks, Kale. Uh, <laughs> the deck, the deck he was sort of pushing for me to play was Mono White, uh, and you know the Mono White deck didn't didn't get any upgrades. You know, Unbreakable Formation is good, but it's not like not major um, in terms of how how the games play out. Uh, and it was a deck that I had a little bit of experience with last format, and I've played it a bit again this format as well with the new card, and I just find that you have to draw a specific sequence of cards. You have to draw, you know, to function, you have to play three to four one drops and then a Lord every single game. And you're not, you have no ways in your deck to draw additional cards. The only way you can sort of outgrind your opponent or win long games is get extremely lucky or have an Adanto, uh, which, which, you know, there's four Adantos. It's relatively, relatively easy to flip. So it's not like you're a 0% on games that go long, but, you know, a single point of interaction like a Kai's Wrath, Cry of the Carnarium, and you're stonewalled. A single Wild Growth Walker into a Jade Light, and you're stonewalled. Your removal is pretty light in the main deck. It's Conclave Tribunal, so you're you're going to have to be taking pretty much a whole turn off attacking in order to cast it a lot of the time. Uh, so it's just something I'm not really really attracted to. I'm I'm not a big fan of decks that only draw one card a turn and and have to hope that that's the right card that's why i was partially drawn to mono blue in the first place is because you had curious obsession and opt to filter your draws the salt deck has the explorer creatures obviously okay john let's go straight to you because it's your baby how do you feel about elliot talking shit about your deck <laughs> you know <clears throat> the the whole reason i picked white was because i thought i had a pretty lopsi- lopsided quote-unquote uh matchup Against the um, the mono blue and the Drake's um, Drake's matchups, and uh, in fact, um, I, I did I did release a plan that was blue white. But um, the night before, I made a, a audible to mono white and uh, cut all the two draws drops because uh, I didn't expect a lot of Nexus decks and Esper decks. And uh, in the Seattle area, at least, I th- I thought I, w- I would have a lot of um, mono colored um, mono colored decks and Drakes, um, but. I did play Drakes. I did play against two um, blue, de- uh, blue uh, decks, and I lost once to both of them. And between the online t- uh, online games and the um, the matches at the RPTQ, like I feel like the amount that it's favored against those decks, the decks that you're trying to prey upon, is I think it's a bit overstated. And um, there was a surprising amount of uh, matchup matches against Mono Blue where they can. It, it's kind of under understated how how fast they can turn the corner between having the curious obsession uh flyer and just gins like just turning the corner and like clocking you in two turns and whatnot where if you don't really have your um if you don't have your nut draws where you uh curving to turn three dumbo and turn four uh lord and whatnot like you're just gonna lose like in the rptq i had a i had a i had a curve where i turned three cast blocks it on turn four and Alice Marshall and I still lost on the on the play because um because of uh key counter spells and uh multiple gins and whatnot and fleet post board. And Drake's in its current uh current uh, iteration, um Drake's were something that Andrew Jessup and his uh SCG crew has been uh, championing. 
uh, over the last few weeks. They have eight uh, spot removals, main deck. They have Shivan Fire and Entrance Melody sideboard as well. So it's not that great as well. And um, then Sultai, obviously, is not that great with the Wild Growth Walker, uh, uh, Virgins, and Esper has is basically tuned to prey on or uh, fight, fight against aggro decks with multiple Moment of Cravings and Cry of the Carnarian, which you can never beat and all that. So uh, looking back, I don't really regret the deck choice. I'm, I kind of question, one, which, which white weenie deck is best between mono monocolored, two drops, no drop, two drops, no history, yes history, and just white weenie in general. I'm not, I, I'm a bit um, skeptical of its place going to the pro tour, but um, what, what you guys said is correct, I think, uh, on mono blue, there are decks like Rakdos, who's trying to remove um, everything that you play, or Gruul even, who's trying to just like play guys with keyword fat and just like run you over. Those decks are popping up, and mono blue is just uh, more known quantity, and I don't think if I was playing the Pro Tour, I wouldn't play either blue or white right now. Hmm. Not sure if Kale's in the chat, but if Kale can chime in on, on some of the questions John asked about what specific uh, model white build that he would build, that would be cool. Uh, Derek, uh, what's your what would your mentality be heading into the PT? Like, do you think uh, people are making the same uh, adjustments, or are people not going to be on mono blue? It's um, you know, it's easy to either over or underreact. So I wonder what your take would be. I think that this format is very similar to the last format um, in that the, the archetypes are, are almost exactly the same. Um, they sort of fill the same positioning. And you, you have um, these decks that sort of rise to the top and then get metagamed out. And I think that's simply because those decks just have a fundamental flaw. Um, and so I think that like the last Pro Tour, Mono White or Mono White-esque deck will do well. And then if you look forward in a week or so, people will figure out a way to beat it. Such the trend with Mono Blue a couple weeks ago. Uh, I think it was very predictable that Mono Blue was going to win the SCG. I think it was very predictable that Mono Blue would get hated out before the Pro Tour. I think all of these are very, very obvious trends. Um, and I think that people... Um, there's sort of this like disconnect between uh, like what people are thinking and what's actually happening. Um, and I think a lot of people are leveling themselves. I think if, if you just want to be comfortable with your deck choice, you should play salt high. I think if you're very well versed in the standard format, you understand a deck and through its ins and outs and how to sideboard perfectly and how to build it for each specific card and what cards in the matchup you need then you should play mono or you should play blue white. You should play um, Esper. You should play control sort of thing. Like last format, I was trying to figure out the best way to build green black every single week. If you were doing that with any deck in the format, other than Saltai, you should play that deck. Otherwise I think auto bowling to Saltai is probably just your best choice. Um, for raw power level, the, those cards are there. It's, uh, but it definitely also has a, a target on its back. So you have to be careful. Um, like, I, I think the, the blue-white decks are good, but like Elliot said, you need to curve out well. And I think the mono-blue decks are in the past and the red-green decks are neat, but they're still just not really good against multiple Chupacabras and Brass's Contempts. Um, to me, Esper is also just not good enough. Uh, so I'd probably play Sultai. 
we're, we're speculating that our frequent guest, uh, Edgar Magalhaes and uh, Team Face to Face is likely with Shaheen, Gabriel Nassif, and, and the fact that Edgar tweeted that he crushed the tournament with Esper. Uh, Derek, we're expecting them to probably land on some Esper concoction, right? <laughs> I assume so, if I had to guess. I would be surprised if they didn't. Um, I know Edgar has been playing an Esper deck the entire format. I think he started with mid-range, moved over control, and then, like, as you saw, he tweeted about it. Um, I also know that's his play style. I think he's more of a, like, I'm extremely mid-range. Some people are extremely aggro. Some people are extremely, like, underground combo, I guess you could call it. Uh, I think Edgar is sort of controlling uh, Asper kind of play style. And obviously, most of his teammates are also. (laughs) So... With, uh, I guess, 24 hours left to go, let's hope, Elliot, you come up with the perfect Sultai list. And maybe Andy can, can lend some of his uh, insane amount of standard experience to help you perfect the list. Yeah, fingers crossed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go jump back into the leagues. Have a good one. All right. Talk to you later, Elliot. All right. So, Andy, do you think there's uh, any specific cards maybe in the sideboard that you think you should be packing? Uh, Cry of the Carnarium, I think is very good right now. I think it's like pretty good against Mono Blue and it's just bananas against Mono White. And Mono White, a lot of their fast draws, it's super hard to keep up with it with, with just removal. And sometimes your creatures don't matter if it's not Wild Growth Walker until like Jade Light. So I think that card is pretty important right now and I think it's a uh, a card that I would definitely include in my sideboard just because of how good it is in those matchups. And the th- the thing, the reason I mentioned that card is I see a lot of lists just don't have it. And I thought it was like pretty slam dunk, at, at least two of, to me. But I could be wrong. I just think it's uh, very good right now. All right. We, we had some uh, hugs on the line, I think, at a regular... PT, uh, Dirk, would you have any predictions of, of what you expect to uh, make up the topic? I, I know with draft and everything, it's it's not representative of of what is going to do well in standard, but but just a guess. Um, I would not be surprised if there was like a blue, white, uh, white, red sort of um, concentration in the topic. I don't know if it's like six copies or like last time, or if it's three copies, but I would. I would like probably think like three white weenie builds, uh, two Saltai, two um, Esper, and then like maybe one mono blue and maybe one blue white, blue red drapes. I know at the last PT, it's Pascal Vieran, the guy who's like been tearing up the the sealed GPs. He he built a blue red drake's deck with the mirari conjecture is the card and it sort of like took the format by storm for like up until gp milwaukee um because it sort of shifted the way that people were viewing the deck i would not be surprised if somebody like him or another player maybe sam black tuned a deck to sort of like pick a spot in the metagame and that deck showed up a bit he didn't make top eight but he nine-owed with uh the blue red deck. So I definitely think it'll be like mostly white weenie and mostly salt eye, but 
there might be a sprinkle of other decks in the format. Um, this format's great still. I still think like there, there's like there's nothing too oppressive, nothing that can't be beat, um, and nothing that's really a terrible choice. But it's all about reading the meta. So I, I assume the top eight will also show that. Derek, I, I didn't hear you uh, mention Nexus, which was uh, what Corey Baumeister and some of his um, his team's been uh, discussing. So if you're if you're making the stance that Nexus isn't isn't going to be there, then what about a deck like Jody Keith, like Rakdos deck, where you know you have infinite removals for the format, you can go over the top, it can probably never be Nexus, but if you're making that bet, then what about something like Black Red? I'm going to be honest and say I totally forgot about the fact that Nexus was in the format. Um, it's it's not that I don't think it will make top eight. It it might. Um, I mean, if if I had to make a statement about the card, I I think that the deck is not as powerful as people think, and on a pro tour setting, it's even worse because people will be making less mistakes against it. And the like, it's it's sort of like the mono blue deck, but on the different end of the spectrum. Um, and it's not an aggro deck; it's a, it's a combo deck, but it's easier to d- dismantle. I think there's a lot of um, hate on the Nexus decks because the majority of people hating on it come from the more casual or um, on like the more green side, I guess you could say, of Magic, where they don't exactly understand how to beat these cards, right? Um, where if you look at the Pro Tour level players, they could understand that four duress plus a quick clock or uh, a good tempo sequencing or specific cards to beat the deck will do it. As for Jody Keith's deck, I think that deck is a flash in the pan. Although very powerful, I don't think it's anything um, revolutionary. That deck existed last format without like the, the new cards, obviously. And it was just sort of a grindy deck. It was always sort of there. It just people didn't really play it because it wasn't the best grindy deck in the format um to me the deck is good it's obviously tuned to beat i think saltai and mono blue but i don't actually know if they can get out from underneath a control lock or if they can beat a deck for when they're behind so to me that that's an issue um but I could also just be misevaluating this deck entirely. To me, I just think it was a it was a good weekend for that deck, and that's about it. Right, um, Derek, have you been grinding on Arena still? I don't know. I, I saw you on streaming on and off. I don't know how uh, I, your schedule is. I'm trying to stay away from the arena grind because I have a couple of personal issues with the whole system itself, um, along with the the whole function of playing arena and Nexus being in the format and the, that there's no secondary market, along with that the way the ladder works, I think it breeds really unhealthy play patterns and is actually awful for people who are trying to reach that goal. And as somebody who's been grinding this for a while, I, I've been in like, I've been deep in that feeling before, you know, and I just don't want to get sort of caught up in that, that sort of like loss of time and effort that goes along with that. So I haven't really been playing arena. I've been watching a lot of standard and trying to keep up with it. Um, 
just because like I think this format rel- will be relative to the next format. And I, I like competitive magic, so I want to be able to follow along at the PT. Um, but I haven't really been playing standard that much. I find this format is, like I said, very similar to the last format and rather boring. So because I have no real reason to play, like I haven't really been. <laughs> I'm just seeing like Alex fall way out of uh, the top eight now after holding on top spot for as long as he could. Just seems, uh, yeah, it seems really, really hard. It sinks. It's finally sinking into me how hard it is to get one of those. Yeah, spots. I uh, when I was grinding it for a bit last season, it took me about like I want to say five full days of me just like grinding completely with green black to get to mythic. And then like two more days, I was at number four and I'm like, okay, this is easy, whatever. I was like, maybe I can get to number one. And I think it was Tiago Saparito was number one at the time. Um, played against him, fell to number five, played against somebody else, fell to number 20, played against somebody else, fell to 60. I'm like, why am I doing this? This is just like not worth my time, not worth my effort. Not only is there no reason for me to do this, but it's just so polarizing and I can't get behind doing this. Does one loss really sink you that much? It's, it's ELO based. So in theory, yes, you, you can watch streamers do it and they'll like start the day at 15 or whatever. And they'll end the day at a hundred plus. Like that's happened to me in like a 20 match span where I've gone I don't know, 10 and 10 or something, and you drop 80 points. Because, like, it depends on who you lose against. It depends on who you beat, right? But you, you don't always know. We don't know exactly how the ELO works. And if, if you, like, beat, so like if you lose this, let's say you're at 2,000 ELO, you lose to somebody at 1,800, you drop a lot. If you beat somebody at 1,800, you maybe gain a tenth of what you would drop or something. Like, I don't know the actual percentage but like the margins are drastically different so like for you to grind all the way to the top is just like your win percentage has to be 80 plus and then if you just like take one loss at the wrong time to the wrong person it's just gone and like like kyt said with with Hane, like he was number one for i want to say a week and now he's not right so there's something wrong with the system obviously right I don't know if there's a better way to do it. Uh, I would argue that Haynes one of the better players grinding standard right now. Um, I don't think that top eight is a good metric on how to decide. So, Call, call me a skeptic here, but I, there's got to be some sort of like, beh- beh- like under the table win trading or some sort of way to game the system because like the stakes are really high, right? Especially in the last few days. Like, I feel like top eight's not going to be like legitimate top eight players this season kind of thing. Like, am I, I, mean, am I wrong? It's, uh, well, I, I want to say no, but I don't actually have any proof to your skepticism. Um, if it's just really hard to quantify doing that, you know what I mean? Like in theory, if you played the entire month and you have a list of every mythic player in top a hundred, and you sort of like work something out. Like I'm sure there's a way to do it. Personally, I don't think it's worth it. I don't know if it would always work out that well. 
It might be trackable. Like there's, there's so many holes in why it could happen that I, I don't know if win trading is a real thing. I think something that would be more realistic is you have multiple people logging into an account and grinding through the night um, or playing 24 hours. But then you have to like, you probably IP track them or whatever, right? Like, I don't, I don't know if this happened when Hearthstone first cracked it open um, and did that sort of thing. Uh, this is my first time really interacting with a ladder, but I, I think personally it would be very difficult to do well or do it all or be worth your time. Maybe somebody can prove me wrong, though. I, I don't know. No, no, I think, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think it would be really hard. Yeah, the, the logistics of that sound bananas and can't be worth it. Yeah, like obviously the 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 invite to the tournament. I think last place is like seventy five hundred dollars, but like what what's it worth, right? I, I don't know. It's not worth it for me. Um, and yeah. I grind a lot of magic. <laughs> yeah, the only sketchy thing that I could see like happening is the account sharing. I. The win trading, I just don't think is going to happen or that realistic to happen, considering like opponents are random. Like, what do you give this person when they concede to you? Like, how do you quantify what they owe you? What if you come ninth anyway? Like, yeah, and like, what what happens if you run into a snitch? Like, if you if you try to like compile enough names and do this, like, what happens if somebody says something? Right? Like, I don't know. It it seems not realistic. Um, let's move away from this and go on to, you know, I, I always ask you, Derek, I, I guess for this, your response to me has always been, it's the same old, same old, but it, it's one of the Reddit topics. It's the magic online announcements. And, uh, is it just the same old, same old? And, and it doesn't matter as, as ticket price has now, I'm just logging into MTGO traders and seeing they're now buying ticks at 81 cents. Has it just been, like this, uh, a downward uh, trend. Uh, what's yeah, going on? Update me. I didn't know it had. Uh, let me just Google this real quick. I didn't know it had dropped to eighty-one um, when I was buying, selling the card hoarder. It was eighty-five. Yeah, card hoarder is buying at point seven eight. Um, it definitely has been on a, a steady decline, and I, it's it's this weird thing with with like we're going to get into magic economics and finance real quick. The real thing with finance in general, and this is what kind of caused the great depression is when you have people scared of what's happening to their money, they all cash out. And I think this has also happened with Bitcoin recently. You, you, you sort of just have people just like selling as quickly as they can. So they don't crash, but while they're doing this, they are creating a crash. So it's sort of like this, this circle and in order to inflate the economy again, you have to have people buying in. But currently, people looking at this economy saying, "Why would I buy in when everything's crashing?" Right. So, MTGO definitely has a purpose, and you can't play modern, legacy, or vintage anywhere else. And and I, I don't think people realize that, like that's that's a reason to have cards on Moto. Um, I, I can't really justify it for other people, though, because I guess it makes sense. If everything's crashing, you should sell. But at the same time, like, 
I don't see Moto going anywhere. I think it's taking a dip, but like, I don't know, like what, why would you be afraid of it going anywhere when you have all these like modern, still the most played format in the world. Um, I don't know. Like keep magic is not like, a, like just something you buy into people play this game. It's tangible. The whole point of magic is for it to be played. So purchasing cards is, has a, has an actual use. Um, it's not like food or something, right? Like it doesn't go away. It's just like, it'll still be there. I, I, I think it's a lot of people being afraid and trying to get out while they can, but I don't, it's just sewering everything else. Andy, as uh, as the resident uh, Sahili and KCI investor, um, how, is it time to jump in now? I guess like I, I I buy Derek's point. I just don't see. I see this as still being the number one place to play modern in a while. Modern's the most popular format in the world. Well, possibly outside of Commander. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. Like uh, if you're wanting to play test it's a good time to buy into moto i would say that i think moto is still very good for play testing i use it all the time for play testing but um like obviously you're not the economy is not what it used to be on moto it ain't what it used to be you're no longer uh at 50 percent expected to get your ev back in competitive standard leagues but i think that's okay like the treasure chest, uh, I remember me and Derek had this discussion a few months ago. I was t- telling him I was a little worried about the chest dipping so much. And he told me they would go back up. And they did for a little bit, but they didn't go back up as much as they used to. And then they went back down pretty fast. And now th- they haven't been above two two ticks in uh, in almost three months, I think. Which is, I, I can only assume this is the new normal, but I think that it is overall okay. I think Moto is going to be okay as what it is. It's not going to be as valuable as it once was. Like you're going to spend less to buy in for decks for testing. So it could you could argue that it's going to be better for testing. You're going to get more value for your money because if if your goal is testing, but like you're not going to just you're going to make less money off of Moto. And I know I, I myself have noticed that I'm making less money off of Moto, and. I don't know. That's okay. Moto is like mostly for testing anyway, and it still does a good job. <laughs> Arena is also great too. I think, um, I think that it's possible that going forward, we have more businesses like mana traders, um, maybe popping up as a possibility because buying into moto stock is so cheap. And I think mana traders also has a lot to do with why people are selling out. Um, because you don't like a legacy deck could be anywhere from 600 to a thousand tickets. If you just cash that out and you just buy in the mana traders, you could basically buy it for, for a full year. And then if you grind enough, you could like make your money back, so to speak, because mana traders exist, we have an alternative. More people don't have to buy in. So it's much easier to sell out. Um, so I think that it's possible that there may be more businesses popping up trying to, uh, combat like the monopoly that mana traders has or stuff like that but I, I don't actually see why you'd want to buy into moto right now unless you just only want to play modern um, 
like maybe maybe we get really lucky and in a couple of years all the all the people that are playing standard on arena find out that they love magic like we all do because it's like a drug and then they just buy into modern because they like that format it's more casual or they buy into legacy or they buy into vintage which is probably like a little less likely than just buying into modern um so like maybe down the road if there's another modern set the price of modern cards could go up again because there's a huge uptick in people playing modern but i don't know uh as long as as long as the prices are going down it I don't really know what to say. Yeah, I never considered what Mana Trader's uh, impact would be in the whole situation. And that's bizarre because I've, I have like an 18-month streak of Mana Traders. I use it exclusively, and I sold out of Moto because of the, the viability of Mana Traders and uh, the initial scare of Arena. So I just sold out, said, oh, I'll have Arena for like a year and a half on what I got. So whatever. And then, honestly, the the peace of mind you get from being able to just like switch decks and never have to worry about bannings, never even have to worry about prices of cards and to get to test whatever you want. So freely mana traders, the service is like the the best it's ever been. And especially when moto is so good for exactly testing right now, it makes mana traders even more valuable, even though it like diminishes the value of its own assets in a way. At the same time, it creates more business for itself, more revenue, finance, finance. I think um, I think almost every person I've talked to uh, as a streamer, like when I would stream and I'd be like, okay, I have to buy a deck. I would get like five questions in chat. Like, you don't use mana traders or, oh, you, I'm like, no, like I just have all these tickets on my account. Like this is what I do. And I, I just cycle through it. Right. Like you take a seven tick loss on a, on a standard deck, whatever, like it's all mine still, right? It's actually worth it more for me to have these tickets on my account instead of spending money. But when you think about me compared to the average person playing uh, magic online, it's not worth it. Like whatever, I think it's $60 a month or something is nothing just to like play 15 hours of magic and not have to worry about the sunk cost, right? Like a lot of people are fine with that. You take a look at like this has been happening in paper. People are buying cards at vendors and then selling them back later just to play GPs or whatever. Like it's, it's been happening in Magic for a while. Now you can just do it on Magic Online. Um, I think Mana Traders, Mana Traders has had a huge impact on this. Arena's had a huge impact, and uh, Treasure Chests have had a huge impact. But I think Mana Traders has had probably the biggest. I was checking some some prices of DAX and interesting. Like, is it Phoenix for modern? Still pretty expensive because Phoenixes are actually at least according to Goldfish fifty online and uh, yeah, they're crazy. They're fifty tickets each, and I think it's because people <laughs> apparently people said it's because uh, people aren't opening packs. <laughs> yeah, it happens. That's what happened with uh, it happens like with Scarab God. Like it happened with Scarab God. Happened with JVP, happened with, uh, I think, Elspeth Sun's champion a couple years ago. Like, you have a mythic of the last format is now really good, or a mythic from two formats ago is really good, and all the other cards in the pack are useless, and the set are useless. So people aren't drafting it, people aren't opening it. You have, like, this X number on Moto, and the bots are like, we can make money off this. And so they started doing that. Uh, 
yeah, it's insane to me that they're 50 tickets. They're also like seeing playing every single format. They're seeing playing legacy, seeing playing modern. They're seeing probably less playing standard than they are in the other two formats. So it's insane. Now, I would love to see that card get broken out in standard again, like it did last time, but holy crap, is that card good in modern. And uh, Legacy, I was super impressed with that uh, black or the Brixis, I think it was, Arclight Phoenix deck. I, I remember hearing about it, and I was like, I don't get how this works. And then I watched, uh, I think the player just like Dark Ritual, Cabal Therapy, his opponent, and then Cabal Therapy himself naming Arclight, bringing them back, and then the next turn just sacking them to Cabal Therapy again, and just, I was like, holy, holy crap, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I thought the modern deck was like a flash in the pan. I've watched oh, no. a lot of people <laughs> missequence their spells in person, and still just absolutely crush people like it's nobody's business. Just, you just can't, there's, you, there's, only, there's, there's only like a really small failure. You just kill people. And the decks really impressed me. I think it's arguably one of the best decks in modern right now. I think it's got to be. Is is Arclight has got to be the best deck. It's like extremely consistent because it's just full of cantrips, and it it interacts except with like spells. It interacts with creatures very well, and it's just very fast. What else could yeah. you possibly want? I think it <laughs> not only raised the price of Arclight Phoenix, but I think that deck also raised the price of Surgical Extraction, which is. Kind of weird, right? <laughs> you don't really see a deck raise the price of a card that's good against it just because everybody's trying to beat it. So it's, I think it's that's how good the in deck the is. Deck, so yeah, yeah. Surgical is the best answer though because it's it's so cheap, so free, and it just does exactly what you want. When I don't know about you, I hate bringing in cards like Rest in Peace and Ley Lines against decks that like don't need their graveyard, like really need it. So Surgical is just yeah. the perfect answer. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I think the deck's good. Yeah, Surgical was about 20 a few months ago, and now it's also climbing towards 50. Um, John, eh, how's the lab going? Are you, uh, is Electro Dominus, does it have a chance? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, it's a good sign that the uh, modern 5 lists continually have electro- multiple Electro Dominus shells, like, um, the Restore Balance one, or the uh, the Asphalt Living End one, Kiki Jiki, uh, Gristlebrand Goro's Vengeance. Uh, I've been working on one with the Asphalt uh, Living End and Hollow one as well. Um, just having having instant speed, uh, having the ability to go instant speed, two mana, Ancestral Vision, or uh, wrap the wrap the board. It's super powerful. So I think it's waiting to be broken right now. Um, as it stands, I think that. Uh, Phoenix certainly is a tier one deck. Uh, it's hard. It's resilient to one form of hate, which is what I really like about it. It's like Hollow One. You can't just bring anger. You know, oh, you bring anger. Gromag and Hollow One's gonna beat you down. Oh, you bring you bring Leyline of Void. Okay, well here's Adept and here's a uh, Hollow One. Um, uh, Phoenix has the same uh, the same advantage of not being uh, not folding to, to completely to one form of hate, which is great. Um, I was gonna play a modern event. There is a PTQ this Sunday. Uh, I might, I might play it. I might just play Bridge um, or uh, Hollow One actually. Or uh, for those who are uh, lunatics out there, you know, I think Four Color War is very good as well. Chalice, <laughs> Chalice and Bridge are at the best spot it's been in a while. Yeah, yeah, I think. Uh... 
four color words is a good place to be. Uh, if I just felt like I just was, we talked about this last episode. I just watched Jackson play against his opponents. I'm like, well, he's going to roll this matchup, I think. And, and sure enough, he made, he made it all the way to the finals. Uh, John, where, where did you say you're, you're seeing Electro Dominance? Like it's, it's doing well in, in online premieres or something? No, like the, the 5-0 list. Um, okay. Uh, from Wizards, Wizards. I know it's like curated and it doesn't like mean, like it doesn't indicate how many are 5 0 but at least it's showing that, you know, if it's like it's on the list every time, you know, people are iterating on it. People like uh, Nasif and uh, other prominent players have tested it and have been playing it multiple times. I think um, anytime you can shoot on mana, you know, you got something going on here. And there was a very good show, in my opinion, uh, last season before um, spirits and humans like kind of fun police it in the uh, blue, blue, mono blue living in show. It goes right into it. And I think there's a lot of potential. Like you can, you can splash like mausoleum secrets. And, you know, you have another tutor for a uh, living end or surgical extraction or death shadow or whatever bullet you want. It's like a lot of direction you can go, uh, you can go into. Did you say, you, you mentioned it, you, it's also seen copies in your pet deck, Ritual Brand? No, 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 no. But okay. there are versions where it, it plays living end, as we're told, uh, Electric okay. Dominance and uh, Gora's Vengeance, uh, Grizzle Brand. Okay, okay, in that, in that version. Okay, I'm just seeing... Just scanning your pet deck right now and goldfish and seeing, I think like the same guy doing well, Winged Hussar. Yeah, I talk to him a lot. I I I think good right now, but for the first time since I've started playing Magic, like there's a new toy that I want to experiment with. So, uh, Electro Dominance has my attention. Or if I'm feeling spiky and net decky, I'm gonna play Dredge probably. All right, because it seems like he's adopted, and people are adopting his list of uh, having full play set of discovery and dispersal. Right? Hey, man, that was mine, but uh, it, was a, <laughs> it was a logical conclusion to get to. The card is very good; it does everything you want. All right, Andy, there wasn't any electro dominance at at uh, the GP for Toronto, right? Uh, not that I saw. <laughs> <laughs> There were right. a few um, day two uh, tournament reports on Reddit because um, the channel fireball list, day two list, complete. And I saw at least two of them, and uh, people are talking about it. So um, let's give it time. I'm pre- I'm confident that uh, it'll be a very good deck. Mm, I like that. I like that, uh, Andy. I, I know you put in a lot of time in standard, and I think when I asked you last time, you said you also drafted a lot. Is that is that true? Uh, nope. I've not drafted this set uh, that much recently. Like I, I did at the very beginning of the format, but now I haven't. I haven't drafted that much. I think. Uh, yeah, I haven't have not drafted enough. It's just like being being around. I forget which co-host it was then. <laughs> I think being I around. Think it, I think it might have been me, but it's been like an actual <laughs> month or something since I've played any limited. <laughs> I forget. <laughs> I feel it was you, but uh, just speaking around Robert Lombardi, and maybe we talked about this last show, but I don't think so. Uh, good old original, one of the founders of First Strike, uh, Rolo, and uh, even I think Dave Rude was uh, part of the conversation where they were talking, they were lamenting how the format actually sucks and that enchantments are too powerful, and they wish and all Watsi had to do to fix the format was to print some sort of naturalize. And uh, I don't know if you 
Remember yeah, yeah, now, now I remember. So like, yeah. So there's a bunch of just like very good enchantments in a lot of colors, and it's less colors than usual get a naturalized effect. There's like one in white that like lets you scry. There's mortify, and uh, for, like blue, blue ain't got nothing. Red ain't got nothing. Green ain't got nothing. So these enchantments just get to stay in play, and that's a uh, that's a pretty big deal when they're as good as ill-gotten inheritance. And uh, the the rare, some of the rares are also just ridiculous. So it it is a bit of a problem because ill-gotten inheritance in particular is just obnoxious to play against it when you can't kill it. It just it's so much better than it looks, and it just kills you. It just puts this clock on the game. Like if uh, if all thing all things being equal, you're dead. And uh, that's a pretty powerful effect considering the the damage matters so much in in a bunch of the archetypes. Like Orzov is like very good at like making the game last really long and draining you a couple times, and then Rakdos is like good at being aggressive and having the spectacle matter a lot. So like that card being a common, I believe, is the one that stands out the most is like the most oppressive to me because it's just it happens so often. You lose to it so much. So, so you do agree it's what, like, the time you played, it's probably not a very good draft format? Is that, is that your impression as well, or no? I, I don't love it, but I haven't explored it enough recently to, like, hate it right now. I think, uh, I think that they're, they're like pretty low cost. There should have just been, like, a couple more naturalizes. <laughs> or, like, the card naturalizes, they print it, reprint it half the time. Why not the one time they make a busted enchantment at common. <laughs> I think uh, I think if you can get away from the enchantment issue, the format's fine. Like if you take a look at the nine O deck lists from what was it, GP Strasbourg this weekend, or the the three O draft decks, like they look like normal draft or limited archetypes, and then you see the random deck with two ill-gotten, whatever it's called, or the absolution card, and the rest of the deck is just like medium cards uh, and they obviously like won because of those cards right but then there's like red green decks that are aggro and there are black white decks that don't have those cards that are grindy and blue white flyers sort of thing but yeah i don't know uh from what i've seen the format's pretty pretty meh and you just want to open one of those enchantments Well, I, let's just hope our boy Elliot opens some uh, sweet, sweet enchantments, I guess. I mean, I, <laughs> um, let's see what, what else happened in the news. There's, I don't want to talk too much finance because I, I don't know enough to know the implications, but one of the bigger news is uh, the new more MSRP news. Um, I'm not personally sure. Um, Blake Rasmussen posted the article. He's the, he's the guy that gave me the uh, exclusive preview cards. Starting with War of the Spark, moving forward, Wizards of the Coast will no longer be giving match products at manufacturers suggested retail prices or MSRPs. We're making this change to streamline our communications around new products. MSRPs are not favored in many parts of the world, which led to some confusion among our global player base. As magic becomes more and more global, it makes less and less sense to suggest a retail price. Don't worry, this isn't some big disruption to our products or the company would believe the elimination of MSRP will simply help us communicate better to our players in the places where those players shop. You'll see this change go into effect immediately before the spark 
uh, which you can view uh, the teaser trailer for now. I'm actually not really sure what the implications will be, and uh, but it seems like the Reddit, uh, early Reddit, is that it's really bad news. Yeah, I saw, so my initial take was I couldn't care less that this announcement happened, but then I saw some uh, worried store owners just saying like the the first store that hikes up uh, like the price of their cards up way above what MSRP used to just gets, looks really bad, even though it's just like their regular markup that they had to not mark up as high because they would look bad because of MSRP being so close to their cost. So they're saying that the negative is that like the first store that sets the price where they should be based on the margins they make on these type of products are going to look like dicks because they hike up the price really high and then everyone follows suit. But it's just something that sort of should have been happening the whole time. But they couldn't because MSRP being so close to the cost would make them look bad. So if you're like, oh, MSRP is $4, they charge $7. People are like, what the hell? What's the point of this MSRP if you're going to charge me $7? But now companies are going to look bad if they try to make the markup. Isn't this just like really good for people purchasing? Like, doesn't that just mean that people who have enough money for purchasing power are in a better position. You know what I mean? Like if, if MSRP on a pack is $5 and the store charge is $5.50 and somebody says, I don't want to pay $5.50 for a pack, then there's no MSRP, right? Like the actual value of a pack isn't already dictated. It, it could go the other way also where stores are just like, the only way you're getting packs is if you're paying $10 and they're only worth three. So, I don't know. The stores make so little off of boost uh, like sealed product that they're I'm sure their appetite is to make more. And uh, the, I think a lot of what the store owners are saying is they wish that they hiked up MSRP one time and then said no more MSRP. That's what the, the conclusion of my findings on the internet have been of people's complaints. Cause I was desperately trying to find a reason why this mattered. I remember when master sets came out and the MSRP was like $150 and you saw stores selling them for like 225. There's people like MSRP is only 150. Why would you charge 225? And then you had people doing like the, the EV breakdown the EV breakdown was like 250 per box. And then, okay, this, it's okay for the stores to charge this because the EV of the, the set is X, right? Which is more than what they're charging. But like, the MSRP was just completely useless and was just a complaint point for people, right? Like if you don't want to spend X dollars on something when it's like X times two, then just don't do it. You know what I mean? Uh, to me, it, it, it doesn't matter. And I think that people just like to complain about random stuff, <laughs> but I don't know if this means the stores can have more money in their pocket to, to stay open and run more events. Yeah. You know what? Let them charge the extra two dollars for packs or whatever. I'm not going to be buying them. Yeah, I, I'm quickly scanning through through the Reddit thread, and and one of the most liked comment is the fact that Watsi's doing it so that uh, people don't complain about them. And they say shops set their own prices. Nothing we can do about that. And um, to to what uh, to continue what Andy said, like someone's like saying RIP 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 LGSs. If uh, Wizards isn't setting a price, Amazon's going to be the lowest by a lot. 
I don't think this is from LGS Greed or anything either. The reality is that Amazon can afford to take that loss and take smaller margins to ensure they get all the business, whereas most LGS are already selling closer costs just to try and remain relevant. Um, so I guess that sounds like a downside for some LGSs. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm intrigued how this will play out. I was actually uh, I was thinking about that the other day because I remember the Amazon thing and how people said like, and with the pre-TQ thing going away, like the whole idea of local game stores is sort of like falling by the wayside unless you're already an established game store that's like hosting 3Ks weekly or have Sunday showdowns like face-to-face Toronto or like the face-to-face game series across um, Canada sort of thing, right? Like face-to-face isn't going to fall because of these like Amazon things because they're already big established stores. It's more like the local stores. But to me, like maybe those local stores like shouldn't have been open in the first place from like a economic standpoint. You know what I mean? Uh, I know it sounds very harsh, but a lot of businesses just don't stay open past their first year. And if they do, they they're either extremely successful or they, they fall by the wayside quickly after. And I think like, this is just another um, sort of shove in that direction. And maybe it turns out to be really bad capitalists just selling your product to Amazon, but it could also just like get rid of all the bad stores and bad experiences that people are having. Uh, like I remember going to pre TQs and there's a lot of disgusting bathrooms and just general, generally ugly stores that I don't think should have been open, but were because it was the only one in the area and people were just going to put minimum effort in and charge hand over fist for these magic cards, right? Uh, so I hope, I hope it sort of like sol- figured, sol- solves itself, uh, sort of gets rid of those bad parts, but it probably won't because nothing ever goes right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly, uh, I'll take care of any of the financial stuff for face. So it's a uh, face-to-face game. So it's going to be interesting uh, to see how this plays out uh, for us. But uh, yeah, well, I think we'll be fine. Um, that, well, that does it for this show. And uh, to support the show, just make sure to like, subscribe the video. Or just subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Some of you listen through different mediums, but I think the best way, and there's just many free podcast apps on Apple, on Android, and they just, they honestly make podcasting listing a lot easier. Um, in fact, now even Spotify, which a lot of you use, uh, now supports a lot of podcasts and our podcasts are on Spotify. So it's, it's a perfect way to have all your music and all your podcasts in, this, in the same place and you know, podcasts are awesome not just this show but there's non-magic shows that you can listen to and I, like, I don't know if any watches or listens but you know, I love First Take which is uh, what the show is based on and, and that's definitely on my podcast app, my Android podcast app, Pocket Casts that also has, uh, you have to pay for it but I think it's, it's at the time it was a few dollars, I think it's a few dollars uh, still now, and there's a desktop it's like, version. It's like five bucks, yeah. It's yeah. great. Hi- highly recommend it. It's got a desktop version that's awesome. So when I'm on the computer, uh, perfect to rewind or whatever. It's it's just a perfect app. And but but anyways, there's many choices for other platforms as well. Uh, wishing our boy Elliot luck. Okay, any last any shout outs or, or things you want to announce, Andy? Let's start with you. 
Shoutouts. Um, shout out to uh, to Elliot, who I think will do well at his uh, first Mythic Championship, despite his uh, anxiety over his deck decision. I think he'll good. do well. <laughs> John, any anything? Oh, you forgot to mention Mono Red. What? You forgot what to what? mention Mono Red Living Gun, I think, is what you said in the chat. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Um, just wanted to mention that the Modern Challenge and the uh, Modern PTQ online were both won back-to-back days by the same guy who was on Death Shadow Zoo, so congrats to him. The very rogue deck, but uh, it has its place in the meta. Um, shout out, yeah, shout out to our boy Elliot. Um, he seemed very worried, but he's a very good player, and I'm sure he'll figure it out. And um, just uh, for anyone uh, playing the Modern PTQ this weekend, um, a sneaky choice would be uh, blue-white control with main deck, rest in peace, and terminal. I think it's Ooh. very good in this current inbred modern meta. So go get them. Um, just quick before I go to Derek, is there any big change in this in this Death Shadows? I'm trying to pull it up. Is this this Lalo WBA guy? Yes. Um, it's more zoo than like um, like a tempo, like a stubborn deny or a traverse the woven wall. It's like more of a it plays more like infect with mutagenic growth, uh, uh, swift spear with the prowess and the attainer uh, battle rage. It's very uh, very aggressive. I felt it's like just, it's almost exactly Death Shadow when Cataxium Probe was legal before right. everyone realized how to make it good. I, I thought this was like what LSV at one point played, Andy, if correct me if I'm wrong, and I, I thought it was underwhelming. Yeah, it's almost like card for card, just like a, a list from 2016 or whatever. Yeah. And it turned out not to be that good after after a while. So well, I, no, no one's played it since. <laughs> and somehow it's it's crushed. If this doesn't prove that modern is an awful format, I don't know what <laughs> is. When some <laughs> random from picks up a deck from three years ago and just runs two modern events into the ground because nobody knows what's going on. You just put Path Exile in your deck and you can't lose to this deck. I mean, this deck never beats Blue White X or a, a Green Black X, but no one's playing those, so good for him. Probably can't beat Bird either. <laughs> I just remember trying this in 2016. I thought it was fine and, and not good. So, Well, so Burfuck won a GP, you know? Okay, that's <laughs> yeah, so did Elves. So did Scred. Yes. Modern! That right there is just the most perfect thing I've ever heard. Merfolk won a GP. So did Scred. So did Elves. <laughs> so did 2016 Death Shadow in 2019. Don't <laughs> be good at magic, just play Modern! Woo! <laughs> uh, I love to register that deck. Call it Death Shadow 2016. Um, yeah, I still remember our uh, Nikachu was was tweeting out that he was uh, providing updates. He couldn't make it to the GP in Toronto, providing updates for the for the Merfolk list. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think those guys did very well. <laughs> uh, Derek, any last words? Uh, yeah, shout out Elliot, obviously, uh, but shout out another friend of mine, Alex. It's uh, also his first pro tour. He uh, he actually won a Moto PTQ to qualify for Cleveland. And then managed to top eight GP Montreal less than a month later. So uh, I think that like he's he's really on right now. And him and we all know of Randall, who played on the Canadian national team. They're from my hometown. Um, those two guys are like really killing it uh, for people who don't play a lot of as much magic as most. So hope those guys do well. Um, 
Cleveland's going to be sweet. It's going to be the first uh, first event with the GP at it. So I can imagine some really cool, you know, uh, innovative stuff coming out. And it, they released pictures of the coverage team. Looks like Wizards is hopefully really going out all, all out for this one. Um, maybe showing us, the viewers, what we really want from the GPs and all those announcements that we've been looking for. So I'm optimistic. I'm hoping that I don't get let down because I don't know how much more I can get let down. Um, I, I may be able to say a lot of rotten things about Wizards that I've been holding in, but we'll, we'll wait and see. Uh, I'm excited. I love Pro Tours. It's some of the best coverage. You can't do that, man. If you want to no, be uh, no, invited. Invited to uh, a Mythic Championship something. It's definitely like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, yeah they, they, they show that nice uh, image they made of all the commentators and all the people on the coverage team. And I feel like, yeah, you're right. I think the point's going to be like, the response they're hoping to get would be like, oh, so that's, that's what they're doing. That's what they've prepped for. So I actually expect not to be let down. I expect to be, that's my prediction, pleasantly surprised like uh, honestly for, for my sanity and their sanity i hope they don't let us down because i am nowhere near as bad as any magic the gathering reddit page and i think that there's going to be some serious uproar on the internet if things are not going well uh call it a, a loose prediction but uh I think that might be what happens. So for everybody's sake, I hope that it goes swimmingly. John, you as well. I think this is the first time I'm going to be hyped for coverage in a long time. So I hope they they pleasantly surprise me from the get-go as I'll be tuning in from the start. Same here. Can you imagine watching coverage not on mute? This would be such such a lovely experience. I hope it's great. What you watching on mute all the time? Really? Yeah. Oh, for GPs I do. For pro tours I don't. Uh, I don't know. Pro tours are different. They have the neat little videos. They have like the walk the planes. They get to like go to these people testing houses. They got you know? that transition now. Do you remember when they went from the guys the full battlefield to just the one person attacking? I'll never forget the transition. I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but I'm sure this is tongue in cheek somehow. No, it's not. This actually happened to the last pro tour and it was cool. <laughs> okay. Well, y'all can catch me at the next pro tour. That's the one that matters. Catch, catch me with the queen holding the trophy. All right. For the rest of the guys, uh, I, didn't, I didn't play it, but support the show. Go to patreon.com slash first strike and we'll see you next week as we talk about the results and hopefully Elliot's awesome finish. Bye, guys. Thank you.